Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. is the Church Law Podcast, where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. Welcome back to the Church Law Podcast. I'm your host, Erika Cole, known as the church attorney. The size, scope, and impact of legal challenges facing the church today are a growing concern among pastors and church leaders. And I'm grateful that this podcast is here to be a trusted resource. In this latest episode, we are discussing a new but far-reaching topic, setting accountability plans for pastors. Leadership integrity is foundational to creating a healthy culture and environment where churches can model high standards, including legal compliance. On today's podcast, my guest is Michael Martin. He's a CPA and attorney and the president of ECFA. We discussed the recent special report to the Task Force on Moral Integrity and Accountability, which was conducted by ECFA with over 2,600 churches invited to participate. The responses may surprise you, as well as how many churches are seeking to deal with issues of accountability in this age of challenge. Welcome to the Church Law Podcast, Michael. Thank you, Erika. It is always good to be with you and just a huge fan of this podcast and your work and so many of the great resources at Church Law and Tax. Thank you for the invitation. Pleasure to have you and good to see you. Obviously, we've had the pleasure of interacting over the years. I had the blessing of being on the ECFA board for, I think, six years and I'm just grateful for the great work that you all do. So obviously, this is a big topic. Um, when we talk about moral failures in the church. And obviously, we start with this premise that clearly none of us is perfect, right? I don't think that either of you come to this discussion with that expectation of ourselves or of others. (laughs) Um, But what we have heard, what we have experienced is that when a moral failure happens within the church, it impacts donors, it impacts those who are around the entire experience. So can you tell me and share with our listeners, what was the impetus for creating this amazing special report? Yeah, well, thank you so much. And I appreciate that word of introduction, Erika, because I think that is so important. We have to go into a conversation like this with just a posture of humility, right? None of us are perfect. We don't have any expectation that even ministry leaders are perfect. Sometimes we probably hold them up on <laughs> like a higher pedestal than we should. And just we're all human. Um, but there is, yeah, this value of accountability. And that is so important. And what are reasonable safeguards uh, that we should all have in place? And 
yeah, just appreciate the opportunity to have the conversation. I, I pray that the Lord would guide this conversation. Let none of the, the words that we speak be our own, but we do pray that God would just guide us in this important conversation. And really that's what's been happening behind the scenes at ECFA. Yeah, thank you for mentioning uh, your service to ECFA, the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, which I think, like you said in the introduction, we have over 2,600 organizations today that are part of ECFA that are really committed to upholding high standards of integrity and accountability. And as a result of that, Eureka, and that's been over for over the last 40 years. And so that just sets the stage a little bit with the group that I have the privilege of serving and organizations that really want to do things well. And so, Eureka, we've been hearing more and more from Christian donors, from ministry leaders themselves saying, okay, if ECFA's mission is enhancing trust, that truly one of the greatest trust issues of our day is this whole area around leadership integrity, right? And so we've been asked more and more, recognizing that while none of us are perfect, we're never going to solve you know, sin issues, if you will, like on this side of eternity, what are those appropriate safeguards that can be put in place, uh, not just from a personal standpoint, because some pastors and ministry leaders may have those in place personally, but what can an organization do to really come alongside a leader and help provide that level of support and even care? I hope we talk about care too. And so there's a task force that was formed uh, on our board. You've served on our board. And so, you know, it's a very thoughtful, uh, diligent group that's really seeking to honor the Lord and praying about what could potentially be done, but also, you know, it's not the heart of the board that we're going to come up with all these great ideas inside of a boardroom and then come out and sort of tell people what to do. Like we also want to go out and find within the ECFA membership of over 2,600 organizations, what are the current practices? Uh, what are we doing well? What are we not doing well? Where are the opportunities? So anyway, uh, that just gives a little background into the journey that we've been on really here over the last several months. That's a big deal. And and as you said, the goal is not to be the moral police, but in my realm and as some of the areas that we've even talked about in this podcast, we've addressed the fact that so many pastors are facing issues of burnout. Yes. Pastoral burnout we've seen from Barna reports and other reports is at an all-time high. And I actually had Mindy Caliguar from Soul Care Ministries, I think it's called, on the podcast. And we were talking about how even burnout leads to some of these poor choices, right? We see it even within our own selves. Maybe it's something as simple as, you know, me eating more chocolate than I would normally have, (laughs) right? Or maybe um, we just are so fatigued that we are not able to find ways to uplift ourselves more or have that depth of spiritual connection that we would traditionally have. So how have you seen from the survey how, what leads to some of these moral failures or did the survey dive into that at all? Yeah, that's a great, those are great insights. Good questions. Yeah. We didn't get so much into some of the behavioral aspects of, I guess, specifically wise, although there were some really interesting questions that we asked around what are some of the current sort of accountability practices that are in place or, 
even support practices that are related to leaders to sort of help them along that journey. And yes, like you said, there's been a lot out there that has really explored, I think, a lot of these root cause issues. But Eureka, what I would say is we're really in, in this season of I know it's a season for the church of really reckoning as we look and we see a lot of these things that are happening and we're sort of looking at it too, I think in fairness and saying, even beyond the leader's responsibility, what part do we play in this, you know, as organizations, as board members? And I would describe it too, as it's leadership can be really this perfect storm of you know, if there's things that are unchecked in our lives that cause us to achieve, to lead, to strive, if those things aren't dealt with, I know there's been a lot of things that have been written on that. And just as leaders, what do we need to do to kind of go back and do that work to make sure that we're healthy in our leadership? Yes. And then you couple that with goodness. I mean, there's so many unique burdens and that are in challenges that are associated with, with leading a church, with leading a ministry. So that's kind of part of this recipe. And then also really big on my heart, even personally is, you know, it's really our pastors, it's our ministry leaders who they're pouring out and they're caring, you know, for so many people all the time, they're always looking out for the needs of others and really motivated a lot of times in a pure sense to do that. But like you said, there's so much danger in what can happen with burnout, with exhaustion. And if as you know, organizations, we're not coming around to help provide that level of support and even accountability in, a, in the context of Christ-centered governance, you know, we run into some issues. You referenced the survey. I will mention this one. This might be worth us, us talking and those who are listening. I think you'll find this, this statistic in particular around care of the leader just to be really sobering. Uh, so we asked for those who are taking the survey, does your ministry board or your church board, we had responses from both, have you implemented a written plan to support soul care for the top leaders? So we're going beyond, yeah, maybe we just have some good intentions and we like to you know, help the pastor out every once in a while, but no, like as far as your intentionality and having a written plan that would support the care of the leader, uh, sobering, only 15% of nonprofit CEOs said yes. So we've got 85% that say there is no plan that would help support their care as a leader. 28% of church senior pastors said yes. Uh, so a little better in the church space. But here's something else that I think is interesting, especially for any board members who may be listening and tuning in is we ask that same question, Eureka, of board members. And I don't know what your prediction would be, but they were basically twice as likely to say yes to that question. So I find that to be uh, problematic too, because it's sort of that, that issue of many times boards are thinking maybe they're doing a better job in this area, caring for the leader than even the leader would say that the board is doing. So that's, that's part very, of the recipe. Wow, Michael, that's very sobering. I don't think I would have had that prediction, but I do think that overall, as humans, sometimes this is why we go through this process, right? So that we can maybe get feedback that might be different from what our own indicators, internal indicators may say. So I love the fact that these important questions are being asked. And the reality is that moral failures we know impact a ministry with great depth yes, and the people around it. So I'm very curious in your, you know, some of the key survey findings, what did you see about how the impacts of moral failures impact donor trust, for example? Yeah. So this was probably, I think the most attention grabbing 
response, if you will, that we got on the various questions. Uh, we have a PhD researcher on staff, Warren Bird, uh, who does so much work in this space. And he's like, Michael, we never get this high of a response on any survey question. And it's not necessarily uh, good, right? But it's to your point about what impact does moral failure have on donor trust? Erika, 94% would agree that moral failures of Christian ministry leaders have a negative impact on donor trust. So there's this overwhelming sense of, yes, like Houston, we have a problem. But then uh, the issue, as you know, is, okay, so what practically, you know, are we going to do about it? And that was so much of the genesis of this task force and the, the ongoing work that I would say that ECFA is involved in. The other thing I would mention, this wasn't a headline necessarily that came out of the survey, but I'll tell you as I personally, and I read every comment, you know, that was left in the survey that we'd done, there's some open-ended, you know, opportunities just for leaders to share and nearly 800 responses to this survey. But some of those open-ended comments, Eureka, they were so sobering. In particular, there's one that just really broke my heart. And it was a, a leader who basically said, somebody needs to care anybody, you know, care. And so there was just this level of, you Mm -hmm. can tell a lot of leaders, I'd use the phrase that they're suffering in silence, you know, that there are some of these leadership can be very lonely. It can be isolating. And if they don't feel like there's the right opportunity to be able to share and be a part of community and have that level of support, we're just creating this issue where leaders are becoming more isolated. They're, they're suffering in silence more, so, you know, I thought that was I thought that was interesting. And we're hopeful that as a result of some of this work that maybe we would even just start conversations, you know. So if you're a board member, you could pick up a resource like this and go back and or you're a leader and you could go back with some of these resources and really just be able to at least introduce or start a conversation. Right. Yeah, that's such a big deal, Michael. I, my heart feels so strongly for that leader who says, you know, I just want someone to care. And I know that, you know, we've been praying for pastors, especially in this time where there's, there's nothing quite like, I mean, obviously there've been other times in history where we've had challenges, but here in the U.S., experiencing the decline of individuals who are going into ministry, the decline of people who are coming to church, the reality of being out of the building for so long that many pastors don't even know who their members are right now, right? There's not a real sense of clarity around people who are online versus people who are in person and and what life was like pre-COVID versus what life is like now. And the intensifying stressors, you know, on pastors from every way. So when we look at the fact that fewer people are going into the ministry, the pastors are are aging in place. If you were, many pastors don't feel that they can even maybe, as I say, take the next call, right? You know, that I created this Mm -hmm. online course for pastors to, to really help them transition. One of the most listened to podcast we had here on the Church Law Podcast dealt with succession planning because pastors often don't know how, what can we do? Like they, even if they can identify the difficult circumstances that they may find themselves in, it can sometimes be difficult to know, well, where do we go from here? Yes. Yes. And so um, I'd be curious, what are some of the statistics, if if you don't mind sharing them, about 
the differentiation from what you're seeing from nonprofit CEOs to maybe nonprofit board chairs to church senior pastors um, to church board chairs, as far as this implementing a written policy to specify the expectations of standards, right? Because when we talk about moral failures, we know that every church is slightly different, right? Even if you're part of a denomination, each church is different. But how do we come to a place of being able to even consider these lifestyle and leadership considerations for the top leaders? Yes. Wow. How long could we talk? (laughs) There's so much there. Wow. Um, No, I think big takeaways would be, again, in the Christian world, we talk about opportunities. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in the secular world, I think we'd say that these statistics are really challenging, or they they would show that uh, the work is not being done. Uh, but let's just call it an opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity that's out there, in order for both churches and nonprofits to really do better with this. Like I was sharing earlier, in particular, there's a real disconnect between what the top leader of an organization, either the senior pastor or the CEO or executive director in a nonprofit setting, versus sort of what the board thinks is happening. So I think that's what some of the statistics are telling us. And uh, to your point too, it is important for us to recognize, and I think ECFA, we're even being really careful about this, is we're not coming out to be prescriptive or even overly simplistic or saying, oh yeah, this is so easy and there's a one size fits all and you know, no problem. Like we're going to create something off the shelf that you know, just everybody can plug and play. Like this is not one of those issues. And, you know, every organization is different. The leader is unique. The needs within the ministry setting are unique. And so I think it just, it's something that really, we could probably set some basic parameters in place or a best practice as far as what a potential written plan might look like. And again, I think that comes back to, let's use those Bible words or principles. You know, what are the biblical qualifications and expectations of leaders, making that very clear. How is the board going to come alongside and provide appropriate level of support and accountability? Even if the the board is not the pastor's accountability group, there can still be that level of support and accountability. And then the other thing, once again, that I, I do feel passionate about and has probably come out in some of my earlier comments is let's also not just look at the outward behavior of what's, you know, sort of we can all see as far as the leader and their accountability. But I would really strongly encourage any organization that looks at having one of these plans in place. Let's also look at it from a care aspect. And you know the word integrity, right? It's the meaning behind it is is wholeness. And so when we think about a leader, let's think about the wholeness of a leader, their spiritual needs, physical, mental, emotional, relational. I think it's important for us not to just get laser focused in on sort of the do's and don'ts, if you will, but what level of care is being provided. And then also you advise clients. I know all the time as as an attorney, don't just have a plan in place. Don't just have a policy, but there does need to be some level of, okay, how does this get implemented? What does it look like to revisit this policy? Are there conversations around the plan that you would have in place. So I think those are just the real basic elements that we would suggest. And again, we're not being overly prescriptive about what that looks like, but we do think um, having those types of just uh, intentional, wise, appropriate safeguards in place, I would say not just hopefully will help prevent some level of moral failure that we see, but also you made a comment earlier, 
that really the leader's integrity is so important to having a culture, an overall healthy culture and environment where we would say all of the ECFA standards can flourish, but legal compliance could flourish, all of those things, the tone of integrity is really set at the top. Well, you've you've said a lot there, Michael. I, I fully agree. And I also, from a legal standpoint, when we're talking about these matters of integrity, it's not just something that is put upon the pastor, right? That's not the way that I see it. I see it as it is also a protection for that senior leader, as well as for the ministry at large, right? So we're talking about good guardrails that protect that pastor. And I would say even by virtue of protecting the pastor, that I would include his or her family, the ministry at large. So this is something that has far-reaching impact from my vantage point. So when we talk about, you know, the, the language of setting accountability plans for the pastor, it is really much more so the way that I see it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. It is putting a plan into place that considers how that pastor can be supported as well as where the guardrails are so that everyone, you know, as the saying goes, good boundaries, good fences make good neighbors, right? Yes. When we know where the fences are, then it really allows us to be able to play fully, keeping my analogy, within the yard, right? But making sure that you're in the right place at all times. So I don't know if that analogy works, Michael, but that's what I'm going with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't think of any time I've ever corrected you on anything and I wouldn't correct you on this one either. No, I think we're on the same page, you know, and we've had, again, this was not the heart behind this wasn't with this task force and this ongoing work, like, oh, ECFA has all the answers and we're going to come down from an ivory tower or something and, and share like something that would be helpful. We've really gone out and just talked with a lot of folks. We've talked with a lot of pastors, a lot of nonprofit leaders, and there has been that sentiment. I'm so glad that you brought it up that this really needs to be shared responsibility between the leader with the board, whatever, plan is in place, let it be agreed upon, you know, by the leader, let them speak into what are their needs. Let the board hear that. Let's come together and, and sort of work together because you're right. The word accountability. when you think about like a voluntary accountability relationship, it's, it's these two different parties that are coming together saying, we want to uphold a certain level of a standard. So let's work together in order to do that. Um, I don't even know if it technically would be considered accountability if you just had one person that was kind of telling someone else what to do or sort of looking over their shoulder. I think accountability in its truest sense is we're coming together because we want to be honoring to God. We want to do the right thing. We want to be healthy. We want to lead our organizations well. So let's come together, you know, and let's make a plan. Let's do something about this in order, again, to have, I think, so many, there's so many positive benefits to the life of the leader, but also the life of the organization, if if I could put it that way, uh, the health of the organization when a plan like this is put in place. Yeah, I I like that because often what I see, my quote is normally no one calls their lawyer just to say good morning, right? Normally there's an issue already in play. And I think what I see from having this kind of plan is that we establish as much as we can upfront what the expectations are, where the boundaries are, where the lines are, and what the supports need to be for your particular leader, right? And that really allows us to be able to be 
preemptive as much as possible. What we have seen, and unfortunately, you've seen the moral failures in in the church as well as I have. And unfortunately, these things are typically broadcast widely when they occur. And we look back and find that often these plans were never adopted. There wasn't something like this where people came together to consider what can we do as board leaders? What can we do as leaders within this church to support our senior leader? Usually that doesn't exist. And so we find retroactively us trying to unscramble the egg. I think what the heart that you and I have in having this discussion is saying, let's try to use, unfortunately, the bad news (laughs) that Uh we've experienced to come together as the body of Christ to support our leaders. And my belief, Michael, and I don't know if, you know, there's probably absolutely no data per se that supports this, but my heart, my heart's belief of being in church for my entire life, basically, and being a believer for well over 30 years is that if we do this, if we do this from the right heart, it will, I believe, give pastors a level of being able to let their shoulders down a little bit. Yes. Being able to feel supported, being able to know that they're in a place that when they are feeling challenges, there's actually a place and a protocol where they can let people know what their needs are. Let people know that they're having a a struggle with whatever the thing may be, because we all have the things, right? Right, right. And I just would, I think as you're sharing, I appreciate your passion around this. I think we're really kindred spirits and I know that's the case at Church Law and Tax and ECFA, but as you were sharing just this kindred spirit too around, let's take some of the like taboo off of this topic. Um, Because again, yeah, like you said, it it seems like it's only talked about after the fact. (laughs) And yet, like we sort of all agree that there's a problem, but I would really encourage and encourage, courage is probably the key word. Leaders really need to have a lot of courage in this conversation as well as boards. Um, We need to be a little bit more courageous, uh, not afraid to have conversations that need to be had. And I I do find it interesting. I think one of the, a friend was sharing with me, and this was very enlightening. I think it's one of the most compelling sort of basis because sometimes people will say, was this really like the board's business? Should they be getting into these things? And a friend was sharing with me, I think this is so insightful. Why wouldn't they? Because when they go through the process of interviewing your next pastor or your next nonprofit CEO, you're looking beyond things that are just on the job description. You're also asking about church involvement and family involvement. You're looking at character. You're looking at, you know, the health and the life of a leader. So why is it that all of a sudden, once they kind of become in this role, like these things are a little off limits. We can't talk about them. And, and also the unfortunate, like you said, instances of if something goes wrong, And, you know, ultimately we have to dismiss a leader or whatever the case may be. These issues are going to end up in the lap of the board anyway. They hold that ultimate level of responsibility and those fiduciary duties in a legal environment. This is a legal podcast, so I can use words like that. Um, But ultimately, this is going to fall within their purview anyway. So why don't we just have the courage, have the conversations that need to be had in a loving, obviously truthful, God honoring way? Like you said, the spirit. The spirit behind it is so important. Yeah. 
Well, as we wrap up here, Michael, this has been such an awesome discussion. You have referenced matters of governance, and obviously that's something that ECFA covers widely, as well as here at church law and tax. And and we'll include the recent article that I wrote for church law and tax about who pilots the church and about Mm -hmm. governance matters and those considerations. And um, is there anything that you'd like to share as we wrap up today? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that opportunity. I would say the folks listening to this podcast are actually getting a little bit of a sneak peek uh, as far as some things that are going on here at ECFA. And again, we've done some of these surveys of our members and these results are coming in. There's still a lot of learning that's happening. There really is more resources that are yet to come. So I think what I would say is just continue to stay tuned. Uh, Maybe we can continue to share those with you through your podcast network, those resources as they become available. Um, And then all Also, as we started out, Erika, I I hope it's coming across loud and clear. We don't want to come across as if we have all the answers or ECFA is perfect or or we sort of know it all. We're really looking to learn from the experiences of those who are out there. If you're listening to this podcast, if, if you have valuable experience to share, if your organization is doing things well, maybe not so well, whatever it may be. If you can provide that input to us, it would be so valuable and it's easy to do that. You can just connect with me anytime at president at ecfa.org. And we'd love to hear from you. We're really on this journey together. So thank you for the opportunity to have the conversation today. And we look forward to seeing what God will do. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks for the time of being here and also for the excellent work that um, ECFA does. Uh, the survey, I think, is so well needed. The responses that you've had back, I mean, you all are really able to pull together um, a lot of people and have shared important information. So thank you for your time today. And we hope you can join us for the 15th annual Church Compliance Conference, which has been listed as one of the top conferences in the nation for the need to know information for pastors and church leaders. Richard Hammer from Church Law and Tax will be joining me to share about updates essential for churches. That's Thursday, September 22nd, 2022, for this virtual event that has consistently grown in size and relevance, and we'd love to have you online. That's the Church Compliance Conference, Thursday, September 22nd, 2022. The link is in the show notes, or you can go to erikacole.com, erikacole.com. This podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax and is a part of the Christianity Today podcast network. Subscribe to Church Law Podcast to get each new episode and join us on this journey. Thanks for listening to the Church Law Podcast. We invite listeners like you to submit questions and comments. Send your email with the subject line podcast question to contact at takethenextcall.com. This podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. 
Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.